I'm Chris Runge, and this is Study Hall. Welcome to Study Hall, the podcast dedicated to getting a little bit smarter about advertising. What's up, Study Haulers? Our guest this month is Dave Stowe. Dave's a chief procurement officer who's led procurement teams for small to mid-sized life science companies. I thought it'd be interesting to bring Dave on Study Hall to get an inside perspective on the much-feared procurement department, what they care about, and what they're looking for in an agency partner. Dave knows what he's talking about. He's held senior positions at Horizon Therapeutics and Purdue Pharma, and he did several years at PwC, where he worked on procurement transformations for pharmaceutical medical diagnostic devices and healthcare service companies. We had a long talk, and I had a lot of fun having him on the show. Here are some highlights. 40 to 70% of the cost of sales, let's call it, is in purchased goods and services, which impact either the cost of goods sold or SG&A. That's a huge strategic issue. You can develop the right partnerships to drive home not only, you know, cost reductions when you need to, managing and looking at the risk, taking a look at the quality of services, and really trying to um, bring the right vendor to the table to help the business, your colleague in the business, exceed in what he or she needs to do or their team needs to do to be successful. How do you look at continuous improvement ideas and collaborate with suppliers in such a way that they see an incentive to working with you to take the cost out and it's to their advantage as well as yours to do that, as opposed to just, I need 5% reduction year over year over year which can be very difficult to manage if you don't have the right culture in doing that. Um, Trust is is very intangible and it takes some time to do that and you got to do your homework. But when it's done right, it's it's very beneficial for all the parties involved. And then I think procurement's much more strategic as opposed to somebody's calling up, you know, Dave at the end of the day and saying, hey, I just need 5% more if you go get that price. especially impressed by Michigan. Um, I know Michigan from past lives and I know what a good school it is. So what, so coming out of there, I imagine you could have done anything. What, how did you get into procurement? I was interviewing with a number of companies and my background prior to Michigan was in operations. So I had been actually working as a young, as an engineer, as well as a uh, supervisor for, in the automotive industry, I worked for Subaru, the car maker. And I was impressed by, at that point in my career, just how things were made. But then as I went through Michigan and you take a look at a little bit more at the, at the MBA level, a strategic kind of uh, viewpoint of businesses, and then you start to really ask questions about the different functions within businesses, including mm-hmm. supply chain and procurement, you know, you start to understand that more and more companies are depending on their suppliers to, to get, you know, to do things, to provide services or provide material um, to help them succeed. And so I had an opportunity to join Allied Signal, which is now Honeywell Uh at the time in a procurement role. And I had a very good boss uh, as a mentor and he helped me really kind of transition from that operations side into much more of a sourcing and procurement side. Mm -hmm. And this is also a time in industry that I'm seeing where procurement started to, to come of age, to go from that tactical effort of just going out and buying and maybe just doing price negotiation to starting to think strategically of how to work with different suppliers, use a lot of information that was starting to you know come through ERP systems and the advent of spreadsheets uh, to start to do analysis, to start uh-huh. thinking through what is um, what are we buying? How are we mm-hmm. buying it? Um, a lot of contract management systems started to be developed at that point. There was a, a lot of information. A lot of dot coms were starting to pop up at that time in the late sure. 90s yep. about how to look at you know procurement. So I found it a great opportunity. And what I really liked about it at this point in my career is that you know having led you know organiz- procurement organizations as a chief procurement officer, I've had that opportunity to build teams. Mm-hmm. And also to take those teams and interact with my colleagues, the different stakeholders within a company, to buy services and goods of what they need to have to be successful in how they're running their business. And those, so, are, those are super complex industries. I, I, I mean, I don't know a ton about the automotive industry, but I know a little bit about the electronics industry. You, you're, you're not just 
buying stuff, you're, I would imagine you're also air traffic controlling delivery and making sure that, you know, the line can still run and everything all appears when it should. Is that right? Well, exactly. And wow. so you do have um, a lot on the direct material side, you've got mm -hmm. a lot of quality issues. Mm -hmm. You have, um, you know, cost issues. You also have ways to constantly drive cost. You got to start thinking at that point, because it's in your cost of goods sold, how do you continue to look at continue how do you look at continuous improvement ideas sure. and collaborate with suppliers in such a way that they see an incentive to working with you to take the cost out and it's to their advantage as well as yours to do that as opposed to just I need five percent reduction year over year over year yep. which can be very difficult to manage if you don't have the right culture in doing that mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's where it takes some time to really think through what that strategic nature is of buying stuff. Pharma has a lot of parallels to automotive and electronics as well. I mean, we don't, especially, especially when you're doing, you know, the higher tech drugs, uh, I imagine you're, you're dealing with a very complex supply chain indeed. Right. And, and I think even on that marketing side, the commercialization of a drug or a device, mm. um, there is, as, as we know, a lot of regulation about how, you know, you use words and what you can yeah, say right. to the physicians right. as well as to the consumer and how is that position. Right. And so then you shift from uh, looking at things to looking at concepts and looking mm -hmm. at um, relationships that are much more intangible mm -hmm. as opposed to tangible. But mm -hmm. if you have the same collaborative, analytical collaborative mindset with those suppliers, you can develop the right partnerships to drive home not only, you know, cost reductions when you need to, mm -hmm. managing and looking at the risk, manage, taking a look at the quality of services, and really trying to um, bring the right vendor to the table to help the business, your colleague in the business, exceed in what he or she needs to do or their team needs to do to be successful. I like that word, collaboration. So that's a great segue to our next, sort of my next question, which is, you know, when we were talking before, uh, before we decided to do the interview, you were making the point that procurement is and has been in the past sort of seen as um, the heavy, right? Where you, you, you get through the pitch, you know, the app from the advertising agency perspective, get through the pitch, uh, everything's going great. Um, you've won and you go into procurement and the next thing you know, it's, you know, it's a discussion, a very hard nosed business discussion about cost and staffing. And um, it's a, it's a real downer to say the least. Um, but it sounds like, you know, this, you've, you're, you're part of a movement that's changing that stereotype. And so I'm hoping you'll tell us a little about that. Yeah. So one of the things that has been around for probably the better part of 20 years, at least, and I know it gets kind of, it can become too bureaucratic, but it's, it's the point is it's called category management. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to go out and buy advertising services or marketing services, that's a lot different than buying uh, raw materials for an active pharmaceutical uh, ingredient mm -hmm. or from buying, if I go back to my previous industries in aerospace and automotive, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, to buying, uh, you know, uh, forged parts or, or cast parts or whatever it might be, or electronic parts. Um, now, when we're looking at that category management and we step back, there's probably more of an outline that we can follow mm -hmm. that can be very productive. And the procurement department, in my mind, the sourcing team, however words we want to use it, this becomes, in my mind, a tool for the team, but they use it so that they're prepared for discussions with stakeholders. And those stakeholders are people in the company um, as well as uh, the, the supply base. And there's really kind of, I guess, six broad areas that I found in the outline that have been productive for uh -huh. me. Um, and that's what's the category profile look like? So what's the description of what we're buying? What's the spend breakdown, supplier profiles, and so forth, and contracts we might have. Uh -huh. And then there's objectives. What do we want to get out of this? Um, it's one thing to buy, for example, you know, um, travel services or IT services, which might be very commoditized. And there might be much more of a focus on cost and pricing than if we're going to buy marketing services or ad services or R&D services mm -hmm. that we, you know, have a different, you know, objective on how we want to buy that. And that's, you know, those are the first two parts of this kind of six part outline. Mm -hmm. The other parts that are very important is that the supply market profile needs to be understood. Right. So when I go out and buy ad services, again, 
those suppliers in that market are going to be a lot different than the suppliers that might be in IT services right. or IT hardware. Um, and so having that right mindset and understanding that the differences is sometimes very stark differences in the market is very important because what you might be successful in buying and the approach you might use in travel services is going to be a lot different than how you might look at ads. Very important to understand is what I call the industry cost structure okay. and profit margins. So that means that, you know, there are certain things that are just going to mean that the cost is it might be very difficult for you to just go in there to, to your point, if you had a little bit more of a um, aspect with, with uh, somebody thinking, well, I'll just go in and pick up the phone and they'll give me 15% in 15 minutes. Right. That might not work because the cost structure is set up and no supplier is going to make a, an adjustment um, if they know that they can go get, you know, sell their businesses to somebody else. Right. And so, you know, it's important to listen to your colleagues and, and do some research to know what that is. And that so you market. really have to study the business and understand the business that you're buying and understand it at the level where you know things like margin and uh, uh, and I would imagine, you know, co other parts of the cost structure so that you can have, a, have an intelligent negotiation as opposed to just, you know, a headlock <laughs> that you just yep. break down on people until they pass out. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and that's the, that's the, that's the other thing. Cause what would you have in a cost structure? You have labor right. and then supply base, you'd have their materials, whatever it might mm -hmm. be. They're going to have overhead and they're going to have margin. Right. right. And, um, sometimes people say, well, I'll just offshore this. I'll move this offshore. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fine. So you might take the labor component down, but do you, um, add, uh, overhead logistics costs mm -hmm. to get it there? Or sure. do you add some risks to what you're doing? Um, and, and how you're you're buying that. Right. So, you know, be very careful kind of how you plan that. And then the other piece of this is, you know, what is the long-term nature of that purchase of whatever you're buying? And if it's, uh, you know, I think of R&D services, say uh, pharmacovigilance services or translation services, mm -hmm. um, that might be different, than, again, than buying in the ad space. Sure. Um, some of that you could potentially offshore and some you got to be careful what you're offshoring just to save the money on the right. labor. But maybe there's other aspects of the cost structure that you should take a look mm -hmm. at that you can enhance mm -hmm. value in what you're So buying. it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, legwork that goes into this, I would imagine. Right. And that's what I say is this is kind of where procurement really earns and, and gains the respect from collaboration partnership mm -hmm. with their stakeholders, because then they say, Hey, Dave and team, could you guys come and let's help me actually meet with the vendor. Let's, let's talk with them and work through this because they're, they're going to know that we're paying attention to what's going on. And that trust is, is very intangible and it takes some time to do that. And you got to do your homework, but when it's done, right, it's, it's very beneficial for all the parties involved. Mm -hmm. And then I think procurement's much more strategic as opposed to, Somebody's calling up, you know, Dave at the end of the day and saying, hey, right. I just need 5% more. Can you go get that price? Right. And, you know, those are different discussions that, that uh, um, you know, may get a different outcome. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So yeah. I, I think we're, what, we're halfway through the outline? That's three? Yeah, that's three. And then uh, three other things real sure. quick is kind of once you understand, you know, the category profile, the category objectives and the supply market profile – then you've got, you know, what's the sourcing strategy? For example, do you want to have sole sourcing, dual sourcing? Mm -hmm. um, what service requirements do you need? Contractual terms. That's the sourcing strategy you, you need to talk with your colleagues about. Mm -hmm. And then there's the negotiation. If you're going to go out and source this, you know, are we going to do an our uh, request for information? Are we going to do a request for proposal? What's the timeline? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be on this negotiation? What are those roles? And that's very important to think about. And then the final sixth thing I have kind of is a supply management requirements, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a supplier. Most likely it might be a long-term one, especially in an advertising marketing situation. You know, what is the importance of managing that supplier over time as opposed to every six months doing an RFP just to get a price point? Because mm -hmm. that might be very disruptive to the business as well as the supply market. And what might be more productive is to think about, okay, we've decided to work with one particular supplier and we want to have some objectives to what we're doing with sure. them, how we want to measure their metrics and how we want to have reviews with them and contractual requirements and so forth. And that then becomes much more of a um, ongoing relationship with certain suppliers. Not every supplier is going to be in that area, mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot that can be and you want to think that through. So 
that's how I try to approach the category of whatever you're buying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a there's a definitely a place for that in advertising and marketing, uh, especially with ROI and looking at what you're getting back for your money. Right, that's that's Wanamaker's conundrum. I know half my money's wasted. I just don't know which half, and de- and and sort of right. putting some putting some milestones in place so you can understand you can understand what you're getting for your money. I've noticed that we've had some success with some of our clients working with them on that. So. Right. And, and every, everybody's got budgets, mm-hmm. right. Um, that they're managing to, and they have a combination. If you think of it from the company buying's perspective mm-hmm. is they're going to have a staff looking at the, the product um, positioning, you know, the strategy of how they want to sell the drug um, or device as well as then how they would work with suppliers. Mm-hmm. And that the budget's going to say, I would like to work with agency X, Y, Z, and I'm going to budget. We'll just pick a number of million dollars for a year. Or it could be 10 million. It could be mm-hmm. whatever. But we're going to have some money. And what is that you know, budget going to look like? Mm-hmm. Then that interaction through this category planning process means that over the course of not just 12 months, a mm-hmm. year, but maybe on an ongoing basis, especially when you get into branded pharma and, and um, you're starting to really ramp up um, your sales expectations. Right. Um, for the for the drug, now you're going to start to put, you know think you're going to need to spend more time with these suppliers, and you're going to spend more money. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that, from that supply management perspective, change, and you know how we want to work with you? And so, procurement's job is again not to, in my mind, not to tell uh, you know director or vice president of marketing that he or she can't do something. Right. The job is to say. Hey, you're working with like now, you know, this one supplier and over the last three years, we've grown our spend with them, you know, but I'm also seeing another colleague down the hallway as they, you know, grow their drug. um, They're working with the same vendor. And now we've got a lot of spend with this vendor at a a higher level, Mm -hmm. strategic level. What's the relationship between the company and the supplier versus the department and the supplier? Now we have a different discussion going on, which is beneficial and done right with good analysis can lead to questions about, you know, maybe ways to optimize that relationship. Mm -hmm. You can uncover sometimes issues with that supplier. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, somebody saying, yeah, I like them, but, you know, what's really started to upset me is their out-of-pocket costs have gotten, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit out of hand as well as, you know, they've got a lot of account management going on here, or they've got great creative stuff. And that's what I really want to focus mm-hmm. on. Or these guys know how to buy media, especially in the digital age. Mm-hmm. And the other department down the hall might not really understand the importance of what that media buying is going on in that digital mm-hmm. age. Um, and that collaboration can come into place. And so how do you bring all that together? And I don't, the category plan or the category management is more of a procurement tool but it can be used the right way to facilitate good discussions with stakeholders. I see. My next question is, how well accepted is this? Um, what's the, you know, what, what's your read on on the sort of procurement function, and how many people in procurement are adopting this kind of approach versus the fifteen percent and fifteen minutes approach? From my personal experience, so I have a little bit of I can see and hear and listen to some of my procurement colleagues outside of the companies I'm in. Mm-hmm. But I also, my own personal experience has been, especially sometimes when I've come in and I'm a new person in general in the company, they might not know who I am. They can read about me on LinkedIn. They can ask people from my prior employer. But where it's going at is there's a certain level of trust that's developed. And once that trust is developed, it opens up a door that I never expected. Got it. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden somebody says, you know, a CIO may come to me and say, hey, Dave, could you help us out with some R&D sourcing effort that's going mm-hmm. on? Because I worked with him or his team, you know, in one uh, other area. He liked the approach I was uh, uh, deploying. I see. And that collaborative, analytical collaborative approach, he, in his mind, he's like, well, this is a good person that I want to introduce to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And those doors open up. And all of a sudden, now you start to find that you're a trusted advisor and your team's a trusted advisor when they follow this mm-hmm. approach. And they get a certain sense of uh, uh, insight that is valuable. And then it becomes kind of a snowball effect building that up. You know, what's the big picture for procurement in an overall organization? Um, like I said, you know, when we were talking before, advertising people tend to see, and I think it's true of most people who are 
in client-driven businesses, a lot of times we see our clients through a keyhole. We can't really, we, we don't necessarily know what all the relationships are. So maybe talk a little bit about how procurement works in the, in the, in the relationships within the companies in general. How do you relate to this, like you said, to the CIO? How do you relate to the CFO? That sort of thing. Right. Well, I think um, as companies deal with, you know, get bigger and there's more spend mm-hmm. with vendors, you also have a number of vendors out there. And so that brings a certain level of complexity mm-hmm. and it's impacting two, maybe a couple of variables, mm-hmm. I should say. One is the cost variable. So while we're spending a lot of money, can we save money? Right. Right. That's the high level. Mm-hmm. The second one is uh, risk, okay? And, and when you look at the indirect side as opposed to the direct side, and, and, and those, are, again, two different categories, two different broad categories. But on the indirect side, a big thing that's going on in the marketplace is a lot of data is getting pushed to the cloud. There's a lot of suppliers that have a lot of your data. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. if you have some issues with you know um, data integrity or loss of data, um, that can have a lot of impact on the risk side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are two big kind of variables, cost and risk that people look at on the strategic side of procurement. Mm-hmm. But I think another one that over time has to evolve is how do we find the right vendors that we can partner with th- to help us grow even better? Mm-hmm. And how do we, how does procurement help tell the story in that? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that is coming on the radar and I'm seeing more and more is this whole, um, you know, sustainability and and, um, uh, impact to, you know, the marketplace with, um, again, how you can positively impact the environment that goes beyond dollars saved and beyond risk and and product development, say. And now we're getting into more of the social concerns of, the business and some companies, for example, might have um, very focused mandates on issues with uh, sustainability. And maybe there's a certain uh, issue there that they're looking at uh, carbon footprint reduction. That's just the metric that came from the yep. board and the CEO down. Other times, they might be um, trying to look at other aspects of uh, uh, you know social impact. Mm-hmm. So being aware of all that. And telling that story, that's how procurement at the chief procurement officer level can be build those right relationships with a a CIO, with the CFO, Mm -hmm. and especially in a pharma company where sometimes that CPO um, might report into the CFO or to the CFO's organization because a lot of the spend is on the indirect side. Right. Um, So there's things there, but also with the the chief, you know, general counsel Mm -hmm. and and his team as well as, right, you you get R&D. There's a lot of things there. So, but that's where... It takes time to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself doing my own internal marketing effort and having a lot of meetings with folks yeah. and refreshing and trying to keep that discussion points going, whether it's over coffee, whether it's over specific issues mm-hmm. and meetings um, and trying to, you know, hopefully tell a good positive story about how procurement, the function and the team can positively impact those areas. Yeah, it's so important. And that's my experience working on the client side as well. You're always... You, you always kind of have to sort of let your value prop um, be known and, and help people understand it because it's not always obvious to people. Right. And maybe just to kind of enhance this is that if you really take a look at the spend of any company, pharma, life science or, or industrial products or wherever it might mm-hmm. be, um, if 40 to 70 percent of the cost of sales let's call it is in purchased goods and services, wow. which impact either the cost of goods sold yep. or SGNA. Um, and that, that's a huge strategic issue because you is. pay, basically you buy stuff, you pay salaries, you pay taxes. Mm-hmm. You might have some things like licensing fees and um, some other things that are, you know, maybe out of what I call a typical purchasing area, but, but that's it. And then you have profit left over. Right? right. So what is, what is it that the company's looking at to try to drive ultimately an efficient profit stream, um, you know, an EBITDA level that's going to give them what they're looking for. So I understand this correctly. You're talking 70% of uh, the company's spend is buying stuff they need to do, to do the job that adds the value that the company uses to make its income. So you're 70% of what you're spending is with other people who you're relying on to basically put you in a position to do your job. 
Do I have that right? Yeah, and I would say it's, it's a range, right? Every company range, maybe I thought the bottom line level might be 40% right. to maybe high of 70%. It, it all depends on the and the business model of a particular company, right? right? So if you look across all industries um, and what's going on there, and that also impacts the overall industry profit margin, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So in, a, in, a, in an industry like life sciences, where the profit margins are pretty high, the direct material costs uh, might be very low, meaning the margins are high for the um, uh, gross margin. But then when you add in SG&A costs and you're managing those, then that's where you start to move from, you know, uh, up the scale. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's easy to see hundreds of millions and then obviously in the much bigger company, billions of dollars being spent on outside goods and services and how are you managing? Yeah, uh, it's a huge question. So, it's a huge question. So I, yeah. I want to focus down just a little bit into the into the advertising world, um, kind of yep. doing a fulcrum off of uh, Ken Oletta's book, Frenemies. He starts his book in 2015 with this crisis, um, a transparency crisis in advertising where what essentially happened was um, the media buying companies uh, across the industry it turns out not just the not just the the advertising holding companies, um, media buyers, but you know media buyers everywhere. Um, there was a transparency issue, and they were, you know, allegedly um, holding on to rebates they should have been giving back to the clients, and that caused a lot of consternation. So there was a trans so there's this huge transparency issue happening, and there's a huge value issue happening in advertising as well, where people are beginning to ask themselves, you know, why am I spending all this money? It's not a new question, actually. It's not a new question. It's, like I said, it's Wanamaker's conundrum. But people are starting to take another look at why they're spending all this money, and they're asking themselves, you know, what is the actual value? What's your, you know, what's your perspective on that? How can how can procurement department departments help navigate the changes that are going on in the ad agency world, and 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 the way that you as a company, you Dave as a chief procurement officer of a company, you get your commercial message out into the world. Right, right. So back to kind of, I guess I use the category management outline, mm -hmm. and, and yep. my third kind of point was the supply market profile. Okay. And one of the things that, you know, you have to start, you don't know everything about a supply market. You're mm -hmm. never going to know everything about the supply market. Yep. And human nature is human nature. And um, to your point in Ken's book, there were some issues going on in the ad agency that, um, you know, I don't know, different terms are used. Sometimes it's like somebody finally just is a whistleblower yeah. and they say, here's how it really is done in rebates. Or sometimes there is, I guess they can call it a black swan event where, you know, somebody starts to come up with a better mousetrap mm -hmm. in that industry mm -hmm. and they start to, to, to market it and it starts to radically change everything. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, you know, listening to kind of your review of Ken's book was a good kind of prep for this because it's a very key part of ad, yeah. the ad world, right? We pay, you know, not only for somebody to develop creative work, but also to do the media buying. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of opaqueness to that effort, yeah. right? And meaning that, you know, I, the buyer, the, the company, even the marketing department might not understand it fully. But where I was going at is if 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 my team and I develop good relationships with our marketing department and we're taking a look at the costs of what we're buying in different suppliers, and then we take a breakdown of the the of the actual bill that we get from an ad agency, mm -hmm. um, and, and we start to understand what's going on. But then if we listen and we do some research from time to time, and when we go to lunch with a supplier or we go to you know, have coffee with them or when we're in a meeting with them and we start to ask just general questions, how's the market? Mm -hmm. And sometimes by asking, how's the market going in advertising, mm -hmm. Chris, and you start telling right. me some things, I'm just asking a simple open-ended question. Yep. How is it? And, and that to me, then if I listen well, all of a sudden I get some information about the market that I never uh -huh. knew. And then I can also ask that not only of you, but when your competitor comes in the next day, just theoretically speaking, yep. you know, or somebody wants to just sell me something and they want to just have, you know, 30 minute coffee, you know, and they come into the company, we can ask them again, some market intelligence questions, mm -hmm. procurement, doing that, being part of that team, you know, we can start to be a trusted advisor because we're doing some our homework, doing the analysis. Mm -hmm. We're trying to collaborate with our stakeholders inside the company. And then together we start to see what's going on. And maybe that's kind of where, 
you know, again, it's not quite, we're not trying to tell the marketing department how to buy stuff, sure. but we're saying, here's what we're observing. And here's the information that it might be very important to you as you have a, your next discussion with this supplier. Yeah. Now, uh, in Ken's book, as you point out, I mean, some things happen and people, the, the, the industry just kind of seemed like it, 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 it radically started changing and the transparency effort came in and there were lawsuits and there was, you know, you can read a lot of stuff about that. I don't know if procurement would un uncover that, but they could be at least aware of it. So that people, are, you're not, you're always going to, you might get caught off guard about some stuff, but it's how you try to manage through that, that you, you can be much more productive with your stakeholders. A lot of that contract language that was that was driving a lot of that opacity uh, could have been addressed, and it sounds like the market intelligence that you know that you're you're describing through the process that you, that you're employing that would have that could potentially have you would have potentially have gathered enough information where you where a company could have armed itself against those kinds of you know um, those kinds of at least the opacity, right? Simple things like making sure you've got a contract with the people that are actually doing the buying, which or or reading the contract and making sure the contract allowed you to do an audit, or having the audit be uh, economically feasible. You know, all those things I think could have been um, could have been identified through category management. I don't know if you agree or not. Before right, exactly, I would agree with you there, definitely, Chris. And I think this is where, um, especially the bigger the company goes. So let's you know. It's one thing to be a mid-size, you know, life science company around one to two billion dollars or three billion dollars in revenue. It's right. one other thing when you're you're very big, yeah. and even some of the very big uh, marketing agencies that are outside of life sciences, oh, yeah. like whether it be CPGs, you know, those folks are going to be able to probably see a lot of things because they're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars to spend, yeah. and you know, there should be a lot going on there. So. It all depends on where you're at, but if, from a procurement perspective, you know, if you're going to be whether in those big CPG companies or big pharma companies or mid-sized mm -hmm. companies, how are you paying attention to the marketplace and working with your colleagues, which is really your customer? Yep. If I have marketing people say, Dave's doing a decent job, to me, that's much better than, you know, my boss saying you're doing a good job because you're getting somebody that really yeah. is buying – in essence, buying my services 100%. inside the company. Can you think of an, of an example of a relationship you've had in the recent past that, that kind of puts all this together in one neat package? Yeah, I mean, there's maybe a couple things um, that I can kind of share here as it relates to, say, marketing agencies um, and taking this approach of category management and building a collaborative relationship. And, you know, kind of in this you know, life science company, just let's call it kind of broadly. And, and it's not a huge life science company, but it's one that's, you know, going through um, like anything, some, some, some rigorous planning on the marketing mm -hmm. side of the different uh, drugs they're making, and then taking a look at some that might be um, branded. And then, you know, also they might have a strategy and some direct consumer needs that they have. So they're going to go to the to the healthcare professional, and they're also going to think about how they're going to, to market to the, the consumer. So a couple things that, that we started to do, first of all, in anything is just get a picture of everything we spend on agencies and what are we buying? So that's the category, that's the step one of the category profile. What does it look like, right? Um, and so though, what we start to see though, is that some of these big agencies and you know the big names and they're mm -hmm. you know they they've over you know years have have made acquisitions and then they have these yep. you know departments or subsidiaries that might focus more on marketing for pharma yep. maybe focus more on cpg whatever it is sure. now you know and then they're very good at going beyond just the creative to also the media buying and doing other research yep. Again, you have to lay that out and understand who are you buying or who are you working with that's helping you do things, the suppliers. Yeah. And I like to say that sometimes suppliers, the salespeople like to come in and say, hey, I've worked with you know a number of different other clients to try to obviously impress you that they know what they're doing, mm -hmm. right? And that's fine. And I, there's nothing wrong, again, with the salesperson coming in with that, that opening line. But then I say, that's great, but let's work with what my company needs today. Mm -hmm. And so my company today might be focused in, maybe it is in cancer treatment, or maybe it is in um, heart disease, or maybe I'm getting into rheumatology, yep. or maybe I'm going to go down another path, right? But that's who we are, right? And that's what I'm buying for today. And so now 
that starts to kind of the objectives. Now, if you're working well with your colleagues, you know, this is all stuff that you're doing kind of in a collaborative mindset and you're trying to do that. And I think when you start to talk, you know, um, in terms of what is the list of suppliers, what are the different, you know, total dollars, maybe they have fees that are going on there. And then, you know, they're doing certain, you know, things, whether they're agencies of record or whatever it might be. We've got to lay out kind of what our requirements are, maybe some concerns we have. You know, I also like to say, you know, what's going on in that supply market, which is a very important thing. And what's that industry cost structure? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. But you start to learn all that information. And then you can say, um, you know, what you're doing is you, you, what are your objectives now when you negotiate, right? And so one situation here, we laid out, you know, like five different objectives here. How do we want to look? Because we had a fair amount of suppliers. Mm -hmm. so we want to do some consolidation, answer that question. Yep. Then we had talked about pricing structure. Do we want to do something that is, again, when we negotiate, is this something that's going to be one year, two years, three years? Is it going to be single source, dual source? Um, and then, you know, that also gets into the contract terms themselves. And then in some cases, we had the industry had some rebates. And what were those rebates looking like? And so we talked about what we were trying to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And then how did we want to, you know, use and manage that supplier from, you know, an accountability perspective? Mm -hmm. And what was in the SOW, the statement yep. of work? so that we could have a good relationship there. And, you know, you start to lay that out and then you start to ask, you know, when we negotiate, what are we really going to push for and what are we not going to always push uh -huh. for? And that's something that on those different parameters that we set, mm -hmm. we started to think through, could we get, you ask for everything, but you've got to know when you're going to give and sure. take. And sometimes in that negotiation, good things happen from both sides. Things come out, people start talking yeah. and it doesn't become adversarial, it becomes much more, uh, collaborative, and it's something that almost opens up opportunities that nobody saw before. And then, mm -hmm. as you go down that path, it's much easier to talk about the issue of pricing. Okay, because yeah. now I understand what what I need, what you guys offer, and maybe this is the right way to set the pricing. And mm -hmm. then both sides feel more comfortable about it. And then we might get. I hate to say it this way, but you might get that 15% you were looking for, but we didn't start right. out by asking for that off right, right off the bat. We started down a path that was much more analytical yeah. and collaborative driven. Yeah. And that then led to, and sometimes you see also in that supply market, Chris is sometimes the suppliers start to realize you could be a really good customer. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they realize you got a really good product. Yeah. Then they that. might start to just lower their That's price right. because they want your business agencies because if you can if you can turn around and say you know just to go back and if we were the viagra agency that's you know that's 20 years worth of um you know 50 percent less selling that you have to do you know we were talking a second ago about you know five um or so parameters that you wanted to put into the contract what if, if you were going to build an ideal contract with a with a um what would you what would you, what would those five parameters be well, I mean, um, sometimes a sales uh, team is going to want to know how much they potentially can get business wise, right? right? So they're like, is this going to be a $50,000 uh, sale? Is this going to be a $5 million sale? Is this going to be a $50 million right. sale, right, for their yep. side? And and I prefer that we don't get into mm -hmm. that right away because once you start telling us somebody that, they start to key in on that number, right, on their side. Right. But what we try to like do anchoring. is, you know, you have to yeah. give them certain, yeah, and you have to, exactly, they're anchoring. But you also have to kind of say, okay, what are we looking for? And sometimes, if unless you're going to do an RFP, then if it's an RFP, you might be in a different position. Right. But if it's an ongoing supplier, you know, this is why I ask my colleagues not always to share a budget, but to talk about what do you want for the next mm -hmm. year or the next two years in, in, the, in the product that you're, you're marketing. So there's a certain level of time, you know, length of the term, mm -hmm. you know, what do we want out of this thing? And I find that that's an important aspect because um, how do we want to set that basic time we're going to be together, right? Mm -hmm. It's one thing when we talk on a personal level and you, you get married to, to death to your part, yep. but a business is always timed. It's going to be a one year. It's going to be a two year. It might be evergreen. But you have always opportunities to stop that that relationship mm -hmm. and it will change and it will stop. And so you have to just know that it is what it is. And sometimes some people get really excited about just signing a deal. 
versus understanding that it's just a business arrangement. Mm-hmm. So when you do that and you, under, you understand that the term of the agreement, yeah. that's, that's really interesting. I think, you know, so many people, yeah. uh, I think, uh, especially on the creative side, because we're, we, you know, we tend to, we tend to, we work with emotion all day long and sometimes it's hard to like wall it off. You know, it's a kind of a occupational hazard, but you do get so involved in client service that you get, you want to develop a relationship, especially since we, you know, advertising people deal in, you know, emotional, connections all the time and it's it's good to remember that it's it's a it's business it's, you know it's a year it's three years right and exactly and i think that's kind of where you step back and you start to say it's good to have emotion i mean i don't want to say this is you know no, just very cold conf- negotiation but it my, my, my yeah, point is just to not get confused by it you know of course you want yeah, emotion of course you want to work hard of course you want to be really identified with uh the success of a project but uh, I think you know what I mean. It can it can sort of turn pathological. Yeah. It, it, it's a nuanced thing. It can turn pathological without yeah. really noticing. Well, and this is you bring up a very good point. And 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 anybody that's in negotiation, whether you're selling or you're buying, you know that there's a couple things going on in everybody's mind, including my own, which is there's kind of this logical way that I think things through, and then there's the emotional way that you think things mm-hmm. through. And they're in the, your brain at the same time, oh, yeah. so you can't separate them. And we know that. Yes. And what's important to know is that when sometimes there's a disagreement uh, and you need to get to yes, how do you work through that? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I found that there's times to take pauses in, in discussions. Sometimes it's important to say, hey, why don't we get back to each other tomorrow or right. let's get back to each other take at the end of the break. week. Yep. And now we're in a different. Yeah. Now we're in a different mindset. Um, you know, it's, it's when one or both parties don't realize that some emotion is getting out of hand, it's adversely impacting the, the, the discussion. So I think, you know, you want to work through those contract terms. You want to make sure you understand what the scope of the agreement is, the services going to be provided. I think it's important to understand to some level of accountability, you know, what would, what are the minimum requirements, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're not, if your supplier just falls down and is not meeting those requirements, you know, what recourse do you have to doing that, right? In a lot of cases on the indirect side, you can just decide you're not going to buy from them. There's no minimum purchases, right? right. Um, but on the direct side, sometimes there's minimum buys and all that because it's a different category, again, different relationship. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to have some accountability in what you want to do that. And then there's the whole financial piece of this thing. Right. So what is it going to cost? Mm-hmm. Is there any rebate? Um, what are the payment terms? Um, and those aspects are very important to bring to light in a discussion with a contract now that we're going to put it on paper. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that it's important for procurement and the business to be working together on this and not just assume that the law department is going to bless a contract. I mean, there's great lawyers in a lot of corporate law departments, yep. but they get so many contracts every day that you know it, it's really more in line with the fact that if you uncover a lot of things in negotiation, you can share that with your attorneys I th- and they can help you write the right language, but they're not the ones that are going to be there yeah. um, saying, oh, you know what? You've agreed to a prepayment term. If that's a business term and you want to do that. That's something that I can't you know, disregard. So I'll leave it in. I mean, media buying is so uh, – it, it, it's it requires such specialist knowledge. I wonder how many corporate attorneys were, were really able to um, to understand those contracts. Uh, you know, I'm not making any specific allegations, right. so I don't want any like cruel emails coming my way. But I'm just saying, you know, I, I, as a lawyer myself, I I sort of look at it and I thought, man, you'd have to you'd have to specialize in this. Any anyway. Well, yeah, and even us, I'll call it a midsize, you know, life science company that could be between five hundred million and three and a half billion might not have you know yep. a big legal staff. And 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 the other thing too is. You would say those are business terms to start with, right? right? So it's not always a legal term; no. it's a business exactly. term, exactly. And those, are, and yeah. So, so I would say this is definitely squarely with the the department, uh, marketing department, or, or sales department, as well as commercialization, as well as procurement. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're on our A game, both of mm-hmm. us, then if we have an issue or we want to talk to the legal department, they can help us articulate the right language cool. for that. So. The question I want to leave with is just kind of a general survey of what's going on in the pharma business now as it relates to procurement as, and as you know you may think just as a general you know subject matter expert observing the space what what do you think what are the three trends or four trends doesn't matter um, the big trends you're looking at uh, over the next five years 
Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I would go five years. Okay. I'll just say kind of short term because I think the, the industry in general is changing quite a mm -hmm. bit. And one of the things I really feel strongly about is, you know, it's uh, a lot of good technologies being developed across the board in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so today, if somebody is or their loved one is diagnosed with cancer, the survival rate um, is much higher than it was 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. ago. And so that, you know, still might be a very difficult treatment that somebody's going through, but it means that they could potentially recover. And in five years, they're enjoying their life with their family and friends, just like they were before they had that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all very neat and, and going on. But it also means that there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of the, we'll call it the small molecule, large molecule. There's, you know, going mm -hmm. on, which is kind of this, you know, traditional pharma of the biopharma world. I think the drug delivery approach, um, especially in the device side, is, is evolving. And then the diagnostic side, there's a significant amount of um, enhancement in how uh, technology is being used to try to really find whether it be, you know, the cancer that we're talking about um, or were, you know, things like the coronavirus that has all of a sudden just hit us as a, as a society, yeah. you know, on a public health issue. How do we start to grapple with that? And so that, to me, is kind of where there's a lot of very beneficial things going on in the marketplace mm -hmm. to help people have healthy lives. I think on the on the um, agency side and on the procurement side, some things that are going on is there is a, a big push on, um, you know, data and big data, right? So how do we use that data? How do we manage that data? And I was thinking um, how many suppliers I've come across now, which tell me, hey, we've got a dashboard that you can log onto our website, right. and you can take a look at slice and dice all your data you want in terms of you know business data, mm -hmm. and there's obviously then the medical data when you get in the R and D space, mm -hmm. but um, you know there's that piece of the story, and a lot of that's going to the cloud, so you've got some risk issues too. So it's not just getting data, but it's where's that data stored, what's the data that's stored, yep. and, and who owns it? How is that contraction? Yeah, you know, huge. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and so I think in that, and then I think, you know, we're seeing an ongoing direct-to-consumer play out there, in, in, especially in the pharma world. Um, so uh, how many times do we see in a 30-second commercial, whatever we're watching on TV, that, you know, the first five seconds is if you have this condition, consider this drug. But then the next 25 seconds are talk with your healthcare professional, your physician, right. talk with your, you know, and, and if you have this and this and this, stop taking it. But that explanation to the consumer who doesn't have an MD or is not a registered nurse or PharmD, they need to figure out how we're going to do that. But it's not like we're going to say we can't go back to the consumer because everybody's health is their own health, I think. And that's what people are saying is, yes, I might have cancer and I'm not a, a doctor to deal with that, but it's me or it's my loved one. And what does that mean? Right. And that becomes very personal, as you know. Yes. The advertising world is how do you relate to that and how do you think about that? So I think those are some key trends that I see going on, Chris. I don't know if you want to add to that because I know you spend a, your career is in the space too, yeah. but it's it's good stuff. Well, out yeah, there. I think I think the for me digital is now so easy to create in that I think it's uh, it's it's challenging us to justify our value again. And I think also the other trend is that there's all kinds of creators out there now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. You go on YouTube and I applaud this. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not decrying it. I, I think it's a great thing. Um, you go on Reddit or YouTube and you just see the breadth of creative talent out there and the, and the breadth of um, stimulus. There's so much stuff out there now that could, to entertain yourself with and to, and to, um, and to uh, consume that it's, it really, you really have to think hard about how you want to, transmit your commercial message and that's i think that's that's really exciting because i think in 10 years the things we're doing in advertising now um are going to be um you know only 50 percent of them or so will survive so i think that's i think that's the a big thing on the advertising side and then the other thing is is making making your making your campaign return and this is i think where it intersects with with procurement i think we need to start looking at media campaigns that return data about the marketplace along with um, sales so that you're selling, but you're also understanding what's working so that you can change your media spend in response to, say, a channel that's returning well versus a channel that's not. And I don't think that's I don't I know a lot of people, you know, that's that's not a that's not a revolutionary concept. But in my 
um, experience, it's it's not really being um, not everyone is not everyone is implementing that. So the implementation of that, I think, is going to change a lot of things. So those are I think those are the two trends right. for me that are um, that yeah. I'm thinking about most these I days. Agree. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's an interest. Like I said, that's an interesting thing for procurement as well because I think that's the kind the, the return on investment. You know, we've been hearing return on investment in pitches for I, I don't know. I think the first time I heard it was twenty two thousand five. Somebody asked me a question about well, what's the return on investment? And we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said like, well, what? Uh, this is just a really cool idea. What do you mean return on investment? We're creatives, man. And um, you know, but it, the the question didn't go away. It just kept getting it just kept getting more and more common until now. It's you know the, one of the first questions people ask, and and they're right to ask. I'm not I'm not again I'm not complaining. Um, I think we just I, I, and I think that's something procurement can really you know since you know to, to help with the category management. Um, I think that's something procurement can really start to to get a hold of because it's a it's it's very math driven. And it's and it requires yeah. somebody who's willing to like you, like an engineer who has a business degree, really get under the hood and start to say, well, we're gonna we're gonna analyze this and we're gonna understand what's happening, um, and and just spend the time. And it does require a lot of time. Spend the time to understand what's happening. So I think that's I think those are the those are the trends for me. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Sure, uh, LinkedIn is a good okay. one. Um, it's it's actually. Uh, David Stowe, but yeah, you'll see that um, I've uh, been at Horizon Pharma, Purdue mm-hmm. Pharma, PwC. You'll see my profile, okay. so that's a good place to get a hold of me. And feel free to link, send me a LinkedIn contact. That'd be great. Well, thanks so much for your time, and uh, I really appreciate uh, all the insights, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Well, that's it, Study Haulers. We've come to the end of our time. We'll see you next month here on Study Hall. Study Hall is a DNR production. Henry Veloso did the music, Chris Rungi produced, edited, and hosted the show.